0: You're listening to the Grace Covenant East Lincoln Audio Podcast. Last weekend, we launched into a new series. In this series, we're looking at some of the parables that Jesus taught. Um, One of the first things that we did uh, was to uh, define what a parable is. And so what we determined is that a parable is an earthly story with a spiritual meaning. Um, As we talked about what parables are we determine that parables begin with something known and move to the unknown. It's for the sake of teaching. And the intent is, is that because it begins with something known, the listener can find themselves placing themselves in the story because it just makes sense. It's what they know. Um, and it brings them, as you move to the unknown, it brings them to a point of um, personal space. Uh, uh, reflection and, and spiritual application. Uh, as Jesus taught in parables, he knew that not everyone was willing to hear the stories that he was teaching. Um, for instance, what we know primarily that would re, uh, re, uh, re, relate to the, uh, to the Pharisees. The Pharisees uh, were threatened by Jesus. They didn't like what he taught. Um, They rejected his teaching and so as a result their hearts were hardened and because their hearts were hardened, they weren't willing to receive the deeper meaning of what Jesus was talking about, the spiritual meaning. So Jesus aimed these parables at common everyday people just like you and I, um, knowing that those who would receive would be those who have an open heart, who are willing to listen and to receive and to apply the teaching that he was giving at any certain time. As we walk through these parables over the next few weeks, um, not only will we uh, be able to learn more about the principles of the kingdom of heaven, that's what parables do, but also we'll get to up close and personal, see how Jesus went about teaching and how he made disciples. So if you weren't here last weekend, you just got a very quick review. If you were here, you got a refresher. So what I'd like to do is pray and then we're going to step right into the message. Would you bow your heads? Father God, thank you for your presence in this place today. We cannot deny it because your spirit goes with us. Um, We thank you that we've had an opportunity to open our hearts up through praise and worship that we've been able to... Prepare our hearts to receive your word. We thank you for your word, that there's power in your word, that your word transforms, that your word has life, that your word transforms us into the, the new creatures, uh, creatures that you've, you've called us to be and you've made us to be. And so Father God, today we submit ourselves to you, and we ask that through the power of your word and by the work of your spirit that we leave this place differently than we came, that we understand more about what it means to be kingdom citizens because we understand more of kingdom principles. And so we offer this to you right now. We offer ourselves and we pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. amen. Well, I'd like to step into the message this morning or set the stage for the message. Uh, by way of a personal story, if I could. And I want to give this personal story uh, a title. And the title is, Don't Change the Music While You're Driving. Let me say that again. The title of my story is, Don't Change the Music While You're Driving. Now, hold on to that. Um, uh, It happened on a Sunday night. I was probably about 16 years old. When I woke up on that particular Sunday morning... I would have never even begun to imagine that at the end of that day, that Sunday evening, I would find myself in the emergency room of the local hospital, but that is actually what happened. Um, uh, it was, it was uh, back in the day uh, when you went to church, not only on Sunday morning, but Sunday night. Does anybody remember that? Yeah, so you had Sunday morning services and you had Sunday night services. Um, I can confess as a teenager, probably didn't look really forward to going and sitting through another message, another teaching. But what did uh, seem very appealing to me is it was the custom of all of the teens in the church, our youth group, that after service, we knew that we were going to go out and eat. In fact, we knew we were going to probably go out for pizza. Uh, at Pizza Inn, and so that was kind of the enticement to to get us to endure that service because we were ready to to go and so um, on this uh, particular evening, Sunday evening, we followed suit uh, our routine as always, we loaded up in cars. And um, we we started on our way to Pizza Inn. That was our pizza restaurant, Pizza Inn. And so um, I uh, got in the uh, back seat. I was a passenger in the back seat of a little yellow VW Bug. Um, Steve Folkes. My friend Steve Folks was the owner of that car. And so he was the driver. And as he was driving, we, uh, the car was filled with people, probably more than should have been in there. Um, and the music was playing and we were laughing and singing and I think dancing. And we were having a really great time in that little VW Bug. That is until suddenly there was an unexpected surprise rush of adrenaline because that little VW bug ran into a car that was parked on the side of the road. Now, this was pre seatbelt law days, and um, we thought we were invincible. Nobody ever thought that when you were young, did you? And so none of us had seatbelts on, but fortunately, none of us were seriously injured. Um, I banged my head. Uh, on the seat in front of me. Maybe that's what some of my memory loss is about today. I don't know. Uh, And I had a, I had a cut on my leg that when I got to the emergency room, it required that I get a tetanus shot. And I think I was more frightened by the needle from the tetanus shot. I don't understand why it was just this little thing than I was of having been in the wreck. I got the tetanus shot. Needless to say, we did not have pizza at Pizza Inn that night. Our parents said, we're all going home now because they had all gathered at the emergency room. And so, uh, how did this happen? And what does this have to do with the the title of my story, Don't Change the Music While You're Driving? Well, as I said, there was music playing and um, Steve, the driver, the owner of the car, decided that he wanted to change the music. This was in cassette tape days. Anybody remember that? Yeah, and so... um, uh, Steve, uh, his car did not come stock with a cassette player. It was a kind of an auxiliary that he added later. And so guess where the uh, the cassette player was? It was, in, it was in the glove box. And so what happened is um, Steve had a little cassette holder box that was in the floor of the car. He reached down to get the uh, cassette that he was going to. And somewhere between getting that cassette and going to the glove box. Steve's eyes veered off the road and somehow the car just seemed to follow the direction where his eyes were. Thus, we hit the car that was parked on the side of the road. The moral of the story is that a sideways glance can cause some very unfortunate problems. Let me say that again. A sideways glance can cause some very unfortunate problems sideways glances don't only happen when we're driving sideways glances the temptation or the lure of sideways glances actually occur every day in our life by a variety of things and one of the most common culprits of sideways glances is comparison when you and I compare ourselves, our lives, and our opportunities with those of others, if we're not careful, it causes us to veer off the path and we lose sight of the fact that God is a gracious, generous, loving, merciful God. That's what happens when we begin to compare ourselves with each other. The parable... That we want to look at today in Matthew chapter 20. Which is the parable of the workers in the vineyard. Or it's the parable of the generous vineyard owner. uh, Is actually an antidote for comparison. But here's what I want to say. In case you think my whole message is about comparison. Comparison is just really a part of it. The real heart of of the message. The real heart of the parable today is that. Uh, We are all beneficiaries of God's love and of God's grace and of God's generosity. Listen, we are all beneficiaries of that love, that grace, and that generosity. And because we are beneficiaries, God has invited us to join him in his kingdom However, comparison can rob us from the joy of really living in and experiencing the fullness of His grace, His mercy, His generosity in the way that God has attended. Um, I'm going to read the passage to you in a moment, the parable, but before I do, I want to start kind of like I typically do and I want to give us a little context to help us more fully understand the parable. If you'll remember, if you were here a few weeks ago uh, when we did uh, one of the Gods at War messages in the Gods at War series, uh, we looked at a story in chapter 19, the chapter just previous to this, uh, the story of the rich young ruler. Uh, and just a refresher, the story of the rich young ruler is that the rich young ruler one day ran to Jesus and asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, you know the commandments, obey the commandments. And the rich young ruler said, those things I have done since my youth. And then Jesus said, now go and sell all you have and then come back and follow me. And when we go to the end of the story, what we know is that uh, the rich young ruler wasn't able to do that. It says he was sad and he walked away because of his great wealth. In other words, he was not willing to make the sacrifice that Jesus required for him to, to, to be a follower, to be a Christ follower. Now, in that same chapter, when we go down just a few verses after that story, in chapter 19, verse 27, we find a remark and a, re- a question by Peter. Remember, Peter was there He watched what transpired between Jesus and the rich young ruler. He saw that the rich young ruler rejected the invitation to follow Jesus because he saw, he heard that the rich young ruler was not willing to make the sacrifice. And so from that, Peter actually makes a comparison. And his comparison is this. Uh, He says in, uh, I think around, in, in verse 27, he says... Jesus, we have left everything to follow you. So what then will be there in the kingdom of heaven for us? Do you see that comparison? He saw that the rich young ruler was not willing to make the sacrifice. He's looking at his life. He's looking at the life of the disciples. That's who the we is. And he goes, but we, unlike that man, we have been willing to, To make that sacrifice. We've been willing to give up everything to follow you. So what can we expect in the kingdom of heaven? And in verse 28, 29, Jesus affirms to Peter that in the kingdom of heaven, because of their sacrifice, there will be great reward. He goes on to assure Peter that everyone who makes great sacrifice to follow Jesus will find great reward in heaven. And then he ends the chapter, verse 30, he says this. He's speaking this to Peter. He says, But many who are first will be last. And many who are last will be first. And it's with these words that the stage is set for the parable that Jesus tells. Remember, the parable is in response to what Peter has said and what he's asked. So why don't you follow along as I read from chapter 20, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read 16 verses. It says, For the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning to hire workers for his vineyard. He agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and sent them into his vineyard. He said to them, You also go and work in my vineyard. When evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones hired and going to the first. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon came and each received a denarius. So when those who came who were hired first, they expected to receive more But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Listen to this comparison in verse 12. These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. But he answered one of them, probably a spokesman for the group. I'm not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Take your pay and go. I want to give the one who hired, who was hired last the same as I gave you. Don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I am generous? And then listen to what he says in verse 16. It's the same thing that he said in verse 30 of the previous chapter, just in reverse order. So the last will be first, and the first will be last. So uh, let's talk a little bit about this parable. What's, what's going on here? Well, we have a, a vineyard owner, um, and we have two sets of workers. We have workers who were um, hired as contract workers. At the beginning of the day, before they started work, they, they were under contract with the owner. They agreed that they would work one full day for a day's wage. A day's wage in that time would have been equal to one denarius. So you've got contract workers, but then you have other men who were hired at various times throughout the day. They were not contract workers. The word that the owner of the vineyard gave to them is, go to the vineyard and work and I will pay you what is fair. And they went. They must have trusted him because they went trusting that he would be true to his word and that he would pay them what was fair. The normal work day within that culture would be to begin at about 6 a.m. in the morning. Since these men, these contract workers, were hired first, we can only assume that that's when they began. They began to work at the beginning of the day. They began to work at 6 in the morning. But we also know... When, when we from reading the parable that the owner of the vineyard went to the marketplace throughout the day. The marketplace would have kind of been like the employment agency, and throughout the day he found other workers who had not yet been hired, and he sent them into his uh, vineyard, simply saying, "Go and work, and I will pay you what is fair." He did this at nine in the morning. He did this at noon. He did this this at 3 in the afternoon, and he did this at 5 in the afternoon, which would have meant these men would have worked only one hour. Why? Why is he taking or bringing so many workers into the vineyard? We don't really know. Honestly, we don't really know. It could have been because his vineyard was expansive. It could have been really big, so he realized he needed more and more workers to, to harvest the grapes. Uh, the harvest season for grapes would have begun at the end of September. That's when they would have ripened and it would have been extremely hot. If for some reason the grapes were slow in ripening, it would have shortened the harvest season and it would have made the harvest of the grapes Uh, more demanding, more hectic, requiring more workers in order to get all the grapes in before the the grapes were ruined. So he wanted to, maybe this is why, because the harvest season was later. But what we know is at the end of the day, so at about six in the evening, that would have been the workday from 6 a.m. to 6 p.m., At about six in the evening, he calls the foreman and he says, bring all the men together so you can pay them. And then he gives some very specific instruction. When you pay them, line them up. And I want you to pay those who were hired last, those who were hired at five o'clock, those who worked one hour, I want you to pay them first. And then you work your way down and you pay those who started first, you pay them last. And so that's what the foreman does. He goes to the men who were hired at five o'clock. And what does he do? He pays them. He pays them one denarius. He actually pays them as if they had worked a full day's labor, but they only worked one hour. We can assume that's how he paid the other ones. But we know that when he got to the men who started work at six in the morning, they were expecting, they were excited because of what they had seen. If he paid them that much, If he paid a worker who worked one hour of full day's pay, you can only imagine what he would pay us right now. Now, interestingly enough, if you were to take that one denarius and you were to translate it into today's uh, economy, and you were to put it on the, in the template of the average minimum wage, and then multiply that, I don't do math, but it's amazing that I can say all of this, but you were to multiply that by the number of hours worked in the day, today, in today's economy, it would be worth somewhere between 50 and $75. So even then, as the workers who had worked all day were calculating this in their mind, they, they were thinking, this is payoff." We're gonna be, we can go on vacation after this. We won't have to work for several weeks. However, when the foreman paid them, what did he pay? He paid one denarius. And what did they do? It says they began to grumble. They began to complain. They actually began to compare. And they said, This really isn't fair. We've worked all day long. We've done the burden, the bulk of the work. And we did it in the heat of the day. And by paying us the same thing that you paid the men who worked one hour, you've made us equal to them. And this just isn't fair. And I love the owner's response. His response was, I'm not really sure why you're so upset. There's really no need to be. Um, didn't this morning before you started working didn't we have an agreement and that agreement was that you agreed to work for one denarius for a full day isn't that what I paid you if I want to pay those who started last the same amount I pay you that's okay in fact that's what I want to do so you take your pay and go just, just go ahead. Go. I have not been unfair in any way. Um, it would be easy for us to look at this parable through a filter of inequality. We could say, you know, it it really wasn't fair. Th- there's inequality here. I mean, the men who worked all day really should have gotten paid more. Or it would be very easy to look at this parable and and understand why the all-day workers were bothered because they didn't get paid more. But that's not the focus. The, The focus of this parable is not about inequality. The focus is found in one of the final statements that the owner makes. The focus is revealed when he said, Or, are you envious... Because I'm generous. This parable is about the generosity of the landowner. Think about that. Because we're going to translate it into a spiritual application. The parable is about the generosity of the landowner. So let me go ahead and insert this. When we begin to think, so what's going on in the parable and we begin to apply it, the, the landowner represents God. The landowner represents our very generous God. The vineyard represents the kingdom of heaven. And the workers represent all who come into faith through Jesus Christ inherit eternal life. Just hold on to that for a moment. Remember, this parable was given in response to the remark and the question that Peter had asked. Peter had been comparing. Peter saw how the rich young ruler rejected the invitation of Jesus because he wasn't willing to make the sacrifice. And Peter, in comparison, says, but we... We have made that sacrifice. So, what's in it for us in the kingdom of heaven? I believe that Jesus wanted to make sure that Peter wasn't getting ready to veer off the path through a sideways glance that comes from comparison and pride. Because Peter had really set himself up for that. And so Jesus speaks to that. And then, remember, he says in verse 30 of chapter 19, one thing, but he repeats it at the end uh, of this parable. He says, so that the last will be first and the first will be last. There's a message that he's trying to get across to Peter. And there's a message For us to pick up here. What did Jesus mean by this statement? What did Jesus mean by saying that the last will be first. And the first will be last. Well let's go ahead and determine what he didn't mean. He wasn't saying that the only way to inherit the kingdom of uh, of heaven. Is through poverty. That's not what he was teaching. And he wasn't saying that when we get to heaven. There's going to be an automatic reversal of roles. Between the the poor and and the wealthy. Really. Really the most direct interpretation based on the context of the parable is that all who believe, no matter when you began to believe, everyone who believes receives the same eternal reward and that is salvation. That's our starting place. It's not to say that there won't be other rewards in heaven, but everyone who believes regardless of the situation that brings you to Christ, regardless of when, whether it ha- I, I gave my heart to Christ when I was six years old. In our first service today, there was a man who was in his 70s who made a decision to follow Jesus Christ. Do you, do you see what I'm saying? It doesn't matter when, but we all receive the same eternal reward and that's salvation. It's important when we're when we're seeking to understand the deeper meaning of this parable, that uh, we recognize that heaven's way of valuing is much different than the way the culture values people and things. We have to guard against making judgments, against valuing based on what we think is right or how, how salvation should occur because John three sixteen says, that "Whosoever believes." It doesn't say you have to do it when you're six or when you're ten or when you're fifteen, or it doesn't say. It just says, "Whosoever will believe." Here's another way to say it. Listen to this: Not everything has the spiritual value that it may or may not appear to have. What are you saying, Pastor Stan? Let me say that again. Not everything has the spiritual value that it may or may not appear to have. Let me give you some um, examples. Think about the thief on the cross. The thief on the cross. And just moments before he died and moments before Jesus, the Savior, died, Jesus said, Today you will be with me in paradise. The thief would be one that most would value, even a cultural value would say, that's a thief. He would be the last one that I would expect to see in the kingdom of heaven. Yet Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. He inherited the kingdom of heaven. Um, Think about the apostle Paul. Um, Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Paul was a persecutor of the church. Yet, he had an experience with Jesus, an encounter with Jesus on the Damascus Road. And Paul was one of the last of the apostles. He was the last apostle to be called. Yet, we have the greatest contribution for Paul that forms our spiritual life today. If we looked at Paul as the persecutor of the church, we would say, he's last. He's a, in fact, I'm sure that's what happened. He'd be the last one we would expect to see in the kingdom of heaven. Yet, because of the generosity of God and the call on his life, that wasn't the case. So, that helps us understand those who would be considered to be last, how they would be considered first. But what in the reverse? What about those who we might place value on to say that person would be one of the first people I would expect to see when I walk through the gates of heaven? Think about Judas. Judas was one of the first disciples. Jesus, a Judas followed Jesus. He was the treasurer for the group. Maybe that's what got him in trouble. Yet, Judas betrayed Jesus. He rejected the gift of eternal life. Or how about the Pharisees? I'm sure in that time and in that culture, people would look at the Pharisees and say, the Pharisees, they're going to lead the way into the kingdom of heaven. They're going to be first. But Jesus said to the Pharisees, those sinners that you despise are being saved ahead of you because of the hardness of your heart. So those that you would think would be first would be last. And, and that's what Jesus is that's what Jesus is, is is teaching here. This parable is a parable about the generosity of God that everyone who believes receives eternal life regardless of when it happens. If we were in a race, it would be as if all of the runners crossed the finish line together at the same time. They get the same prize. They all got first place. And it's all because God is a God of grace. God is a God of generosity. God has bestowed that grace and generosity towards us through Jesus Christ. And He has invited all of us to join Him in the kingdom of heaven, both now and the kingdom when it will come. So let me wrap it up. Here's where you get to fill in your teaching notes. Because God is a generous God, everyone, regardless of status, Is invited to join him in his kingdom, and all are invited because of the generosity of his grace. Grace is the foundation of his kingdom. Honestly, none of us deserve the kingdom. We're not getting it because we deserve it, we're getting it because God made a way through Jesus Christ. It's by faith that we're saved. It's a grace gift. Finally, because of his generosity and his grace, we have no need to compare our lives with the lives of others because comparison robs us of the joy of God's grace. When we, when we spend our time comparing ourselves and our lives and our opportunities with the Lives of others and the opportunity of others and we, we get angry and we cry unfair we're not, we're not living in the grace of God we're not seeing how great our God is that he loved us so much that we don't ever have to die but we get to live with him eternally that in itself is enough if we got nothing else just eternal life so as I'm closing today, I would say, first of all, you don't have to compare. God loves you just as much as the person sitting beside you, behind you, in front of you, in your neighborhood, at your work, at your school. Even if you feel like their circumstances, their opportunities are better, you're, you're, if you believe and they believe, you're crossing the finish line at the same time. you got the same reward, eternal life but I also want to say that if you're here today as you're listening to this message you would say you know I've never really experienced God's grace because I've never really given myself to a relationship with Him I've never I've never really looked at my life in such a way that I would recognize that I've really been separated from Him because of the lifestyle that i've chosen the way i live the choices i make but maybe right now you're recognizing that and it's, it's the work of the holy spirit in your heart and your life right now the holy spirit is present in this place and he's working in hearts and lives and and today he, he's he's drawing people to him and maybe right now that's you he's drawing you to him And so if that's true, I want to give you the opportunity to express that. I'm not going to embarrass you. We're going to get back to everyone. Bow your heads. Close your eyes. Let me just share the gospel of Jesus Christ very quickly. Um, When God created man, he created and placed man in a perfect world without sin. But he gave man free will to choose. And Adam and Eve made a choice to disobey God, and in that sin entered into mankind. Ever since that time, man has been separated from God because of sin. And throughout history, throughout since that time, mankind, humankind, has tried to find a way to get to God in their own efforts but have never been able to do it because there's only one acceptable payment for our sin and that's blood that has not experienced sin. God recognizing that we were unable to do it ourselves made a way. He sent his son Jesus. Jesus came to earth as a baby and he immediately began a journey to the cross. He went to the cross sinless His blood was shed. His body was broken. And that became the acceptable payment for our sin. And the Bible says that by faith, when we would just confess Jesus with our mouth, confess our sin to Him, and receive His forgiveness, then we become new creations and we find our citizenship in the kingdom of heaven. We have relationship with God through Jesus Christ. We've been restored we've been redeemed we've been reconciled if you're here today and you've never experienced that I'd just like to ask that you would just simply lift up your hand and let your eyes catch my eyes and and, and we want to pray with you today that you would receive Jesus Christ is there anybody here and you've never received Jesus just lift up your hand right now is there anyone at all Thank you that in this room right now is a group of people who confess you as Lord and Savior. Thank you that we have received the gift of eternal life because you are such a generous God. God, I pray that we would be able to take this message, the message of the gospel, out of this place with us today because we're going to encounter a lot of people this week who don't know you. And I pray that you would allow us through our life and through our words to share it with them and, and might salvation happen throughout this place all throughout the communities this coming week or maybe those people will come and be with us so that we can share the gospel with them but I, I, I thank you that it will happen and I pray for every one of us today I pray that we would not be robbed of the joy of experiencing your generosity because we're comparing but help us to know you love us You love us with an unconditional love. We are beneficiaries of your grace and your mercy, your generosity. We thank you for that. Thank you that you have invited us to live with you in your kingdom now and yet to come. Thank you for this and I pray it in Jesus' name.